Open up your Bibles to Psalm 9 if you haven't already. This psalm we're going to look at this morning was written by King David. And if you know anything about David's life, you know that the circumstances of his life were anything but stable. There was ups and downs. There was seasons of peace and yet seasons of of turmoil. And each and every one of us can relate to the kinds of really hard circumstances that can make our lives on this earth feel really shaky at times. I know this morning, right now, I'm speaking to some of you who have lost a loved one very recently. I'm speaking to others who have gone through and maybe are still going through some health scares either personally in your life or with someone that you care about very much. I know some of you have had really hard times with relationships, maybe with your family and and perhaps even others in the church. I know some of you have been significantly impacted as far as your, your work, your, your income goes, or your school has been concerned, particularly amplified this past year because of having to deal with things like the coronavirus, or we've had to deal with continually escalating tensions in our society. It's been hard, and we've had to wrestle with sadness and, and fear and anger and, and worry, and oftentimes life just feels like We're trying to stay upright while we're walking across some uh, rickety bridge, right? Where we're just holding on, trying to make it through. How do we hold on? What should our anchor be? How do we stand firm in the faith? Look down at verse 10 just for a second here. By way of introduction, In verse 10, David says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. We're reminded here in this verse, as we are throughout all of the scriptures, that new life following the Lord is meant to look, it's meant to continue just the same way that it begins, by putting our trust in the Lord. What we want to look at this morning closely is just the first two verses, the opening two verses in this psalm, and we want to see what it is that David determines he's going to do in order to stand firm in his faith. And we're going to look at this so that we can be instructed by way of his example that we must continually choose to set our hearts upon the Lord in order to live a life of unshakable faith. Let me say that again. We must continually choose to set our hearts upon the Lord in order to live a life of unshakable faith. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. God's word says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. What we see here is David devoting himself to a way of life that is both uh, the result of his faith and also 
it, in another way, it is the source of the strengthening of his faith. So we want to look at these four declarations here one at a time and we want to answer the question, how do I persist in unshakable faith? And we see first, to persist in unshakable faith, I need to choose wholehearted appreciation. I need to choose wholehearted appreciation. The first way we see in this psalm that David seeks to stand firm in the Lord is by setting his heart upon constant thanksgiving. He determines that he will express gratitude to the Lord without reservation. He's determined that he will recognize that in his life every good and perfect gift comes from above. He's determined that he's going to acknowledge that everything in his life that he has is from the Lord He's not going to act as though, you know, it just merely happened or um, maybe he's responsible for bringing it about. No, he's going to thank the Lord. His heart is not going to be divided. There's not going to be any ifs or buts. He's not going to hold God in contempt for not doing things the way he thought that he should have done them. And when we have uh, this determination in our hearts. We, we are determined that we're not going to withhold gratitude because we think that God should have orchestrated things differently or, or we somehow are the ones who made it happen in our lives. We hold nothing back from the Lord when it comes to sincerely thanking Him for all that He's done for us, all that He continues to do for us, and all that he promises he will do for us. Now this can be um, more of a uh, response of our hearts when things are going the way that maybe we perceive to be well. But how do we do this, especially when the circumstances of my life are hard? How do I, how do I give wholehearted appreciation to the Lord when times are difficult. And I just want to offer two ways that we can help cultivate thanksgiving in our hearts. And the first is this, recognize what we can't know and remember what we do know. You need to recognize what we just simply cannot know. That, that life is going to be full of unanswered questions. We need to embrace that the secret things belong to the Lord. That there's going to be many, many times when we don't know the answer to the question, why, Lord? There's going to be question marks in our lives that are just going to have to remain question marks. And yet, listen, even in the question marks, even when we don't know for certain, listen, this is so important when it comes to uh, persisting in unshakable faith, we do know something for certain. We do know for certain that God is good. That He is always only good. 
that he's always trustworthy, and that his plans are always perfect plans. And it's for these reasons we give thanks to him with our whole heart. We say, God, thank you that you're always good. God, thank you that all your ways are perfect. God, thank you that you remain trustworthy even when I don't understand. So recognize, recognize what we can't know and remember what we do know and then also by his grace, press on through the temporal and dwell on the eternal. Press on through the temporal and dwell on the eternal. It's appropriate that we struggle through the hurts and the pains of this life. They're real. They're difficult. And I'm not dismissing that in any way. But let me just remind you this morning that when when we see a brother or a sister in the Lord who's experienced the weight of pain and turmoil in their life, but we see them standing firm in their faith, thanking the Lord with their whole heart, here's what we hear from their lips. We hear gratitude to the Lord for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he will do for them. And it's because, listen, it's because they've been dwelling on the eternal blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll put it up on the screen as well just for you to follow along. But I want to show you where I turn in my Bible. This is my I need to cultivate thanksgiving in my heart passage. And I gladly share it with you if you want to make it your thanksgiving cultivating passage as well. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with, what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God, thank you. You bless me with every spiritual blessing. There is not a, a spiritual blessing if you're in Christ this morning, that he has not given to you. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Thank you, God, for choosing me in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. God, thank you. You've adopted me into your family made me a son or, or, or a daughter through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. God, thank you for the redemption that is in Christ Thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness 
of my sins. Thank you for lavishing upon us your grace in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Thank you, God, for your glorious plan to bring me to yourself. See how we can press on through the temporal and we can dwell on the eternal blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ and this will stir up thanksgiving in our hearts and this will strengthen our faith. Persist, church. Persist in unshakable faith. Choose choose wholehearted appreciation. Next, in Psalm 9, uh, this morning, in the second half of verse 1, we see to persist in unshakable faith, I need to choose awe-fueled proclamation. I need to choose awe-fueled proclamation. David determines before the Lord, he says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. He considers the amazing track record of God and he commits to the steadfast declaration of all his marvelous works. And we see this throughout David's Psalms, don't we? We, we see this through all the, the writers, through, through all the Bible, generation after generation, faithful ones proclaiming with awe and wonder the the marvelous, magnificent things that the Lord has done. Primarily, we see this in a couple of realms. We, We hear of God's awesome work in the realm of creation, rehearsed over and over again throughout the pages of God's Word. We we see how Uh, The the biblical authors proclaim that God spoke the world into existence. He spoke the whole universe into being. He hung the earth on nothing. He, He put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. He made every extraordinary thing that we see. He made the clouds. He he made the mountains. He made the seas. He made the trees. He he made every sunrise and sunset. He made the rainbows. He made every color we see. He made it all. Every creature of the earth and in the sea. He, He fashioned every single person's body and soul. He breathed the breath of life that we might live. He, he sustains our every moment. He provides food and water in incredible ways and so much more. And we need to stop. We need to cut through the distractions that are screaming at us in, the, in this life and we need to stop and we need to be in awe. We need to be amazed at what God has done and we need to proclaim it. The other primary area where we see awe-fueled proclamation repeatedly happening across the pages of Scripture is in the realm of deliverance. Listen to this. 
God's people say, listen to this, this God, this awesome, almighty God who made heaven and earth and all they contain, listen to this, he cares about us. He's a rescuing God. He's a God who delivers miraculously in the day of trouble. And what extraordinary work of the Lord do the authors of Scripture keep pointing back to again and again and again? The Exodus, right? Talk about a wonderful deed. God has performed all these miraculous deeds in Egypt. He he frees his people to go and they get to this, this great body of water and they look behind and they hear the Egyptian army coming, and what does God do? He, he comes down in a pillar of cloud and he separates the Egyptian army from his people. And they're standing there before the water thinking, well, what are we going to do now? And they can't do anything. But God can do it. And what does God do? God opens up the waters. He creates a, a wall of water on the left and on the right. And he makes a path of dry land for his people to walk through. God delivered his people in an extraordinary way. But listen, the Exodus was always meant to point us to a greater deliverance. We marvel that God would save his people in such an awesome way from such an enemy as Pharaoh and his army. But listen, we must marvel and proclaim all the more that God has and and how God has delivered his people from the ultimate enemy, sin and death. Oh, the wonder of the Christmas story. Christmas season is upon us. The Christmas story is upon us. The eternal Son of God entered into his creation as a baby born of a virgin. And if that wasn't wonderful enough, listen, here's the wonder of wonders. It's this. It's what the angel announced to Joseph beforehand that he would save his people from their sins. It's him. It's him that we proclaim. The majestic king who loved us and served us by taking the punishment for our sins. The Word of God says that for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This, this is the most extraordinary of all wondrous deeds. That God would show his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, do you want to stand firm in your faith this season? Be determined to be awed by the Lord and be determined to proclaim his wonderful deeds. Really quickly, to whom do we proclaim these deeds? To to what audience do we proclaim these deeds? When David says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds, listen, we recount his wonderful deeds to him. That's for sure. We tell God of the wonderful things he has done. 
we rehearse to him in prayer and and in, in proclamation upward to the Lord what he has done. We also recount his wonderful deeds to one another. We encourage one another. We build each other up in the faith by reminding one another of the awesome things that God has done. I love Psalm 66 and verse 16. The psalmist says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. We recount his wonderful deeds to him. We recount his wonderful deeds to one another. We recount his wonderful deeds to those who do not know him. We tell those in our lives, we say, listen, there's a God who created you. There's a God who made you to worship him. The God who made every single thing you can see in your life He's a personal God. And He will forgive you for your sins. He sent His Son into the world. His eternal Son entered into the world. In humility, He lived a perfect life. The God-man went to the cross. And on that cross, He bore the sins of the world. He took the wrath from the Father that sin deserves So that if you place your faith in Him, if you trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, listen to this. This is the most extraordinary news I could ever tell you. He will forgive you for your sins and you can stand before Him. Innocent. Declared innocent. Declared not guilty. You can live with Him in all eternity. Giving Him praise forever and ever and ever in His kingdom where you will know Him and live with Him, where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin. Forever and ever and ever and ever. How awesome is that? Would you believe that? Would you lay hold of that? Would you come to Christ? We proclaim His excellent deeds to those who do not know Him. And then listen, church, we recount his wonderful deeds to ourselves. Preach his wonderful deeds to yourself. Remind your soul of the great things that he has done. Listen, you're preaching to yourself all day long anyways. Let us proclaim to ourselves the wonderful things that the Lord has done. Choose awe-fueled proclamation. Next, to persist in unshakable faith, I need to choose joy-filled exaltation. Choose joy-filled exaltation. Look at verse 2. Next, David declares, I will be glad. I will be glad and exalt in you in you how important are those last two words the psalmist joy our joy cannot be rooted and grounded in anything else but in the Lord himself whether everything is going just as we'd like it to go or we're in the midst of a storm 
As we've seen already this morning, in Him, in Him, He has given us reason to rejoice. This just so naturally flows from verse 1, doesn't it? When we think of and we recount all of His wonderful deeds and we thank Him for all He's done and is doing and will do, it, it just necessarily follows and includes that we would do so with the strong determination that yes, I will rejoice in Him. I, I will rejoice in Him. And if this sounds like a self-exhortation as much as it does a declaration before God, that's because I think it is. It serves, when we say this, it serves to remind ourselves of what is good and right for our souls and what is glorifying to God. Joy, listen, joy is a choice that we must make if we're going to stand firm before the Lord in faith. I just want to reiterate the importance of Scripture, reading Scripture, meditating on Scripture, opening our Bibles when it comes to these things. Listen, the circumstances of our lives will cloud out our vision. And of course, again, there's a time for lamentation, and there's a time for grief. And yet, all the more then, we must open the Scriptures and set before us God's very Word to remind us of why we have joy in Him. I remember a few years ago, Don Whitney came to our church. Some of you were there. Many of you were there for this conference. And, and he talked about the spiritual discipline and how important it is for us to be consistent in seeking the Lord. And, and he used this illustration that I, I remember often. He he, he asked us to picture this, um, this stand here as, and my Bible here open as, as a burning uh, fire. And he says, when we come to the fire of God's Word, we're, our hearts are warmed. And yet when we stray over here and, and we leave God's Word, we, we feel cold, Right? And sometimes we wonder, well, why do I feel cold? And, and, and in this particular part of the, the verse, I'm talking about rejoicing before the Lord. Maybe we, we wonder, why, why am I lacking joy? Why am I not finding joy in my life? And maybe it's because we need to come back to the warmth of the fire of God's Word. And we need to open it up to be reminded again of why we rejoice in Him. So I'll invite you now to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is my I need to cultivate joy passage. And I commend it to you as well. Beginning in verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed 
in the last time. What does this cause in our hearts when we read these verses? Look at verse 6. In this, you rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Choose joy. Choose joy. Set your heart on the Lord. Remember what He has done in Christ Jesus. Remember what He has promised for your eternal inheritance. Choose joy. And you will be strengthened in your faith. Finally, to persist in unshakable faith, I need to choose glory-focused adoration. I need to choose glory-focused adoration. Look at the end of verse 2. David says, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. In the last of these four declarations, David sets his heart on the one who is enthroned above all the creator and ruler of heaven and earth, the the incomparable God, the matchless one, the the all-majestic, forever glorious, only Lord. And he commits, I will sing praises to you. You want to stand firm? I I know you want to stand firm in your faith. Listen. This is what we must do. We must sing praises. We must fix our gaze on the Most High God and we must worship Him again and again in song. We must do this when we're gathered together. We must do this when we're by ourselves. We must do this on Sunday mornings. We must do this all throughout the week. We need to choose glory-focused adoration. When we sing of His unrivaled worth, this gives Him the honor that He is due, and this is His way of reorienting our hearts back to Him. Earlier we sang what is for sure the best Christmas song ever, right? O come, all ye faithful. O come, O come all ye faithful, O come and behold Him, O come, let us adore Him. Humans are hardwired to sing. This is is undeniably self-evident. 
People all over the world are singing. They've been singing since the beginning of time. They've been singing about what they're thankful for. They've been singing about uh, who and what uh, makes them happy. They've been singing about what they think is wonderful. And as God's people, as those who have received new life in Christ, as those who have faith in Him and want to persist with unshakable faith, we must continually choose to sing praise and to worship His holy name. So we could so easily read through a psalm or two and, and just gloss over quickly the beginning uh, verses like these here in Psalm 9. But as we slow down and we look at these two verses, what do you think? What do you think when you look at these words? I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I'll tell you what I think. Here's what I think when I read David making these declarations. I think, oh God, make it the genuine cry of my heart, Lord, that I could say, me too. Me too, David. I will. I will. May God help us. May God help us to say with sincerity, I am determined to live my life like this for his glory and for the steadfastness of our faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we bow before you here in this place this morning, whatever's going on in our lives. Lord, may we remember who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord God, would you stir our hearts to worship you in song, to declare, bless the Lord, O my soul, for you and you alone are high and exalted and worthy of our praise, O God. We love you. Lord, may the words of our mouths now be acceptable and pleasing to your ears. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.